A couple of years ago, my oldest son was starting school at a new school for the first time. He was riding the bus for the first time. It was just kind of a whole brand new thing for our family. But it wasn't very long into this process where he came home one day and he said, this, this kid hit me on the bus. And, you know, as, as a dad, my first response was, well, what did you do to him? You know, I mean, you don't get hit if you're not doing something. And he just said, you know, I, did, I didn't do anything to him. I said, well, just, just keep away from him and, and mind your own business. And he came home again and said, this kid hit me and he hit me hard and it hurt. But if you know my son, the way he, he he's kind of low key and the way he talked about things, I wasn't, I wasn't really alarmed about what was going on. He just didn't seem like it was that big of a deal to him. Well, I get a call from my wife one day and she says, you need to come home. And I get home and I find my little boy sitting there in my living room and he's got this big knot around his eye and his eyes starting to kind of swell shut on one side. And I thought, you know, maybe I need, this is probably a little bit bigger deal than I think. And so this starts some phone calls and a process and some disciplinary things. And you kind of think that it's, it's going to work itself out. But then when kind of the disciplinary stuff ran out with this kid and the kid came back to school, it was worse than before. He smacked him around again and made some threats to him that kind of escalated this whole thing to another level. And if you're a parent, you know what it's like. You're thinking, beat me like a dog, but don't do anything to my kids. It just tears you up on the inside. I was just thinking about the anger that was going on inside of my life. And I'm having these conversations with school officials and bus officials. And, and because of some of the things that happened, I even had to have conversations with the Bozeman police because of something that this kid did in my son's life. And it was brutal, the kind of things that were going on in my heart. And it took a while for those things to subside. And then life kind of moved on for a while. If you kind of fast forward for a few months, I'm sitting in my living room and the doorbell rings. And I go and I open up the door and there standing right in front of me is this kid that beat up my son. And I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm 38 year old man, I'm an adult and I'm just wrestling with the things that are going on in my heart. There's a little part of me that wants to be kind and wants to be compassionate. But there's a bigger part of me that wants to drop kick this kid off of my porch for what he did to my son. And as I think about that day and I think about the things that were going on in my heart at that time, I've come to the conclusion that offering forgiveness to people in our life that hurt us is the most unnatural thing that God could ask us to do. It's the most unnatural thing in the world. It just runs counter to everything that we learn about in this world. But God asks us to do it anyway. And the problem is, too, is that as we just live life, we get opportunity to do this all the time. We are always getting hurt by people. People are always causing pain in our life and offending us. Sometimes these things are small and insignificant. And sometimes these things are monumental and just derail us in life. There are people that snub us. There are people that put us down publicly. We've got moms that have walked out on their families. We've got dads that have hurt their sons because they never went to a baseball game. We've got marriages that have broken because one of the partners was unfaithful to another. There is, from big things to small things, we have the opportunity to give forgiveness all the time. And sometimes these things in our life, we may not think about them from day to day, but they're just buried 
in our life and they're festering in our life. Just this last week, it was interesting. This summer, I'm going to be celebrating our, well, celebrating, it's my 20 year reunion. I don't know if you celebrate that or, or, yeah, you dread it. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's my 20 year reunion. But as kind of the, the lead up to a 20 year reunion, there's all these emails and phone calls that are going on trying to find everybody and get everybody's contact information. And through this blitz of emails that are going all around, I found this email in my inbox. And all I did was I saw the name of who this came from. And I looked at that. And my first thought was not, oh, wow, I wonder what he's doing. Great to hear from him. The first thought that went through my mind and the thing that went on in my heart is, you made my life miserable for two years of my life. And this was over 25 years ago. because It was like sixth and seventh grade that this kid hurt me. But it was the first thing on my mind. And this is in the midst of the process of writing a talk on forgiveness. I'm just thinking, Lord, I know I've got work to do here. I've got work to do. But they say if you preach from your weaknesses, you never run out of material. So here we are. But for many of us, this whole idea of unforgiveness and the bitterness and the anger that goes along with this, you'd be able to give testimony today that this has cost you in your life. Because there's things in your life that you just can't let go. And that has led to bitterness and anger in your life that has cost you dearly. It's cost you sleep. It's cost you emotional energy. It's cost you health, friendships, family. It may have even cost you a marriage at this point. But this unforgiveness thing, it slips in subtly like a cancer. But it begins to wreak destruction in lots of areas of our life. So how, how do we deal with this issue of forgiveness? How do we extend forgiveness into the lives of people that are... And maybe even why? Why should we do this? These are great questions for us to ask. And we're not the first people on the planet to wonder these very same things. Some of Jesus' closest followers had some of these very same questions. And we're going to look at a, a text of Scripture tonight where Jesus deals with this issue very clearly and very directly. The context of what we're going to look at tonight is a, is a parable that Jesus tells. But right before he tells this parable, he's talking to the disciples about what do you do when someone sins against you? How do you handle that? Well, kind of coming right on the heels of that, that starts to spur some questions in the minds of the disciples. And Peter's the inquisitive guy. He's got a question mark for a brain. He's got his hand in the air. He's like, I, I, I want to know. I've got a question about this. And this is where we start in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. This is what it says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now you need to kind of know in that time the rabbis would consistently teach that you forgive someone three times. And after that, it's the end of the road. And so Peter hears Jesus talking about extending forgiveness greatly into the lives of people. So I have no doubt, knowing Peter, that he really feels like he's going to flex some spiritual muscles here and just show Jesus just how spiritual he is. You know, it's, it's not three times Jesus, it's like seven times, right? You know, more than twice as much as the rabbis teach, thinking that Jesus is going to think he's the bomb, you know, because he is so spiritual. But Jesus trumps Peter seven, and he throws him a curveball. And this is what Jesus says. He said, I tell you, not seven times, 
but 77 times. Or some would translate it 70 times 7. The picture that Jesus is trying to give to us is there's not an end of the road for forgiveness in the lives of people around us. There is no end to forgiveness. It was funny, my brother-in-law one time pulled up behind a car that had a license plate on it that said 70 times 7. An obvious reference to this teaching of Jesus. And he turned to my sister and he said, I wonder how many times I could run into the back of his car before he got out and said something to me. I thought that would be an interesting experiment. But Jesus goes on to tell a parable to try to help his disciples and to help us get our minds around what is he talking about when he is talking about the extent of forgiveness into the lives of people and why should we do this? I want us to think about this parable in two scenes. And this is scene one, starting in verse 23. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, you've got to understand that 10,000 talents in that day was an astronomical amount of money. We're talking millions here. The idea is, is that he owed a debt that it would be impossible for him to pay. You could garnish his wages from then until death, and he wouldn't even kick a dent in what he owed. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that great debt, this is what the master does. He takes the debt. I know this looks like a weekly, but it's actually a major debt that this guy owed. And this master took the debt and he just tore it up in front of him. And we've got to think about the magnitude of what he just did there. He forgave the debt entirely. The only thing that this guy could do was to throw himself at the mercy of the king. And that's what we find in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He just tore it up in front of him. He didn't put this guy on a payment plan and say, you know what, we'll work this off over time. He went above and beyond. This guy owed him, and by rights, this guy had the right to throw him in prison for the rest of his life. But he said, your debt is paid in full. You think about what that must have been like for that servant that day. You've got this debt that you've got no chance of ever paying. Even throwing yourself at the mercy and saying, be patient, I'll pay you back. You know in the back of your mind, you never could do it anyway. But in that moment, he cancels the debt. Can you imagine what the relief that you would feel? Just the the weight off your shoulders. It, It would be like winning the lottery. Imagine the joy that would be going on inside of his heart. I just won the lottery, this incredible gift of forgiveness. Now let's go to scene two of this parable, the rest of the story. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This same guy who just won the lottery of forgiveness, now goes out and a guy that owes him the equivalent of a few bucks, 
He's grabbing him by the throat and saying, pay back what you owe me. No grace whatsoever. But then the servant that he's got by the throat makes a request that would be very similar to the one that that guy had just made. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. Now you imagine that, what is going through the mind of the disciples as they heard that story. As they're thinking about scene one of this story versus scene two of this story. The thing that went through their mind is the same thing that's going through our minds as we read this story. We think, what a jerk. Where does that, where does that guy come up with doing that? He's just received this incredible gift of grace. And in the face of that, he's going out and he's grabbing the throats of people that owe him just a small amount. That just seems so wrong. And when we think that, and when the disciples think that, Jesus has made his point. That's exactly what he wants us to think. Because that's exactly how God sees it. How can us, who follow God, who have received God's gift of forgiveness, the lottery, we've received it all, complete forgiveness for all of our sin, past, present, future, How can we, in the face of that, grab the throats of people around us and hold these debts over their head? It just doesn't make sense. And that leads us to our big idea for today. And our big idea is this. Giving the gift of forgiveness will only make sense when you realize that you are a forgiven person. Giving the gift of forgiveness will only make sense when you realize that you are a forgiven person. And for me, the very last part of this story that Jesus tells is probably the most sobering part of the story, but yet at the same time, it's, it's the most motivating. Because it tells us the depth that God feels about this, the depth that he feels about our hearts and our forgiveness toward people around us. This is how the story continues. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. God cares deeply about the things that are going on underneath the hood in our life. The things that are going on in our heart. And if God cares so much about that and takes it so seriously and so personally, I think it's it's worth our time tonight to begin to think about what's going on in my life? What's going on in my heart as it relates to forgiveness in the lives of people around me? Because for us to have a heart before God that is soft and moldable, We can't have a heart that is hardened and calloused toward the people around us. Those two just don't fit together. I heard a story from a friend of mine that does ministry in in another town, and he was telling this story about this woman that was involved in his church. And uh, he was trying to help her grow in her relationship with God, but her heart was just hard. It just seemed like she was spinning her wheels. She was never making progress, and he could just never figure out what it was that was going on with her. And as he was praying about her one day, that just the idea of unforgiveness 
Could there be something in her life, some unforgiveness in her life toward other people? And as he sat down with her and talked with her about this and asked her some of the things, this is what he uncovered, is that this woman actually had what she called a hate file. It was like a, a Rolodex of people's names and offenses against her. And she kept this file and she updated it regularly and she reviewed it regularly because she didn't want anyone to get off the hook. She wanted to remember everything. Now I would imagine for most of us there's probably not a lot of people in this world that probably either have the, the time or the energy to have a hate file that they update regularly. But we can be really good about having those kind of things in our heart where we're keeping track, we're keeping score. We know who's been naughty and who's been nice, don't we? And when we live like that, it, can, it just subtly and not much time at all, we can have this huge pile of unforgiveness in our life toward the people around us. And it leads to destructive consequences in our lives. We need to have hearts that are soft and moldable. But how do we deal with this stuff? For one, maybe we're asking the question, I don't even know if I've got this stuff. And if I do have it, I'm not even real sure that I want to get rid of it because sometimes I like talking about it. And maybe we're thinking to ourselves, if this stuff is in my life and I want to get rid of it, I have no idea how. We're going to step into a small piece of scripture written by the Apostle Paul where Paul gives us what he considers the answer to this bitterness and anger deal going on in our life. We're going to step in real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And here's Paul's big answer to dealing with this stuff. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's Paul's great advice to us. Just get rid of it. If you got that in your life, just get rid of it. You got bitterness in your life? Get rid of it. You got anger problems in your life? You got rage? Well, just stop doing that. You're at odds with people? Quit it. You talk negatively sometimes about people? Well, just drop that. And then he gets to the end and says, in every form of malice. It's just kind of this, this catch-all thing. You get that he's just trying to go through everything in his mind that could possibly stand between us and a relationship with another person. And he says, if any of these things are in your life, just get rid of it. And we look at that and we just say, well, that just sounds simple. Let's just all get rid of it. We'll all stop sinning. We'll close in prayer and go home. Lord, thanks so much for this time. You know, we know that there's more to it than what, what, what do you Hold on a second here, Paul. Time out. What do you mean? You just get rid of it. How in the world do we get rid of this? And second of all, Paul, you don't even know my story. Paul, you don't know anything that's gone in. You have no idea the hurt and the pain that I've gone through. Paul just insensitively, 2,000 years ago, is telling us today, whatever's gone on in your life, just get rid of it. He didn't ask us where it came from. He didn't ask us how it got there. He just says, get rid of it. What makes us think that, that Paul even understands? Why can we even take Paul seriously here? How can he even understand bitterness and anger that might be in our life. The reason that Paul can understand the things that are going on in our life is that we need, and the reason we can know that is we need to look in to what is going on in Paul's life right now. If you want to talk about someone who is a candidate for bitterness and anger, 
right now in his life as he's writing this letter, it's the Apostle Paul. He's not writing this letter from some beachfront property on the Mediterranean where he's on vacation and just, hey, get rid of all bitterness and anger. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. Likely, he is chained to a guard 24-7. All of his friends growing up, the religious leaders of, those day, of that day, the Jewish religious leaders, they're out to kill him. They want to take his life because he's turned and he's following the way of Christ. Well, now the Christians, on the other hand, they're scared of Paul because when he first came to Christ, right before that, he was one of the Jewish religious, that, religious leaders that was killing Christians, so they're scared of him. A lot of his closest companions, when persecution got tough, they, they flushed out and they've left him alone. And now he's sitting illegally in a Roman prison. It was illegal for them to hold him without a trial as a Roman citizen. And when you think about all the things that are going on in his life as he's trying to serve God, I mean, for all practical purposes, he might think, God has abandoned me in this. Where is God even in this? If there was ever a candidate for bitterness and anger, it would be Paul. But in this place, Paul says to himself, and he says to us, don't go there. Don't give your life over to unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy you physically. It'll destroy you emotionally. It'll destroy your relationships. It'll destroy families. But this is the secret that Paul gives us in the next verse to ridding our lives of this bitterness and anger, and that's this, forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That's the operative word there. If we want to deal with the bitterness and the anger and the stuff that's going on in our life, we've got to get our hearts and our minds around this idea of forgiveness. First of all, what, what exactly is forgiveness? I think it would be helpful for us to define. What are we even talking about when we talk about forgiveness? Because oftentimes I think we imagine that forgiveness somehow is a, is a state of our emotions and our feelings where we get to the place where we're not angry anymore. And that's what we call forgiveness. That's not forgiveness at all. Forgiveness at its very essence is a decision. It's a choice that we make. It's the choice that we make in the midst of our hurt and in spite of our hurt and our pain. It's a decision that we make to say to the person that offended us, that hurt us, you don't owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. In spite of our hurt. And the reason that we think about this in terms of being owed something is that when we're hurt, somewhere at the, at the bottom of that, we believe that something that belonged to us was taken from us. It might have been something tangible. It could be money. It could be something intangible, like our childhood. Or just a... It could be, have been taken from us the, this dream that we had of, of ending our life with the person that we started life with in marriage. That could have been taken from us. There's something that we believe belonged to us that somebody took from us. And forgiveness just says, you don't owe me anymore. I'm deciding today, I'm making a choice that you don't owe me anymore. And it's interesting, the word that Paul uses in Ephesians 4.32 to talk about forgiveness is a word that's often used of the idea of giving a gift. When Paul talks about 
forgiving. He's talking about giving a gift of forgiveness. A gift of a canceled debt. You know what makes this so hard to do and so unnatural to say you don't owe me anymore? Is that in reality, they do owe you. Something was taken from you. And we feel like if we hand someone the gift of forgiveness and tell them you don't owe me anymore, somehow we're, we're letting them off the hook. We're letting them get away with it. And there's something in us that just feels like that is just not right. There's something that feels so wrong about that. And, that it's a, and when you think about forgiveness in that way, oftentimes it just doesn't make sense. It's not intuitive. It's just not how we imagine that the world works. But giving this gift of forgiveness will only make sense when you realize that you are a forgiven person. Let's focus again on Ephesians 4.32. And I want us to kind of zero in on the very end of the verse. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Key word there, just as. In the same way, to the same depth, to the same degree that God has forgiven you. That's to the degree that we forgive people in our life. Forgiveness always points us back to what Christ did for us. And so when we think about giving the gift of forgiveness in the lives of people, we've got to do it in light of the great gift that God has given to us. Giving this gift of forgiveness of a canceled debt will only make sense to us when we do it in light of the great gift that God gave to us in Christ. If we feel like we're unwilling to be able to give this to someone, either we don't understand or have never understood or somehow have lost sight of the greatness and the completeness of our forgiveness in Christ. We give this to someone and we say, I'm letting you off the hook because our Heavenly Father looked at us and said, I'm letting you off the hook. We give the gift of forgiveness and we say to people, you don't owe me anymore because God looked down at our life and he sees Christ and he says, you don't owe me anymore. We give this gift to people and we say to them, your debt is canceled because God has looked down at us in Christ and said, your debt has been canceled. I think about that question that Peter asked of Jesus when he said, how many times should we forgive Jesus? Should we forgive seven times? It would have been a a great response for Jesus to say to Peter, well, Peter, how many times has your heavenly father forgiven you for the same stupid things that you do over and over again? And Peter, how many times have you said, God, I will never do that again? And you did the same stupid things again and again. A lot. And that's the point. God is saying, forgive in the same way that you have been forgiven. And giving this gift of forgiveness will only begin to make sense when we realize the greatness of our forgiveness in Christ. And as we wrap up here this morning, I want to I want to just try to make this as applicable to you uh, as I can. And just give you maybe just a handle to get on like, where could, where could I start if I wanted to deal with some of the unforgiveness stuff in my life? Where would I even begin? And there's a little section of application there 
in your notes page. And the first thing that you need to do is you need to identify the people that you are angry with. And for most of us, that's kind of the easy part, isn't it? You know, you're just thinking there's certain people that when you see them, when they walk in the room or you think about their name, there's just something that kind of goes on in your heart. And you just think there is something between them and I. They're a candidate for this. And you think a, a way to maybe even monitor in this in your heart and, is uh, do you ever have like imaginary conversations with people like when you're laying in bed or driving in your car and you're kind of giving them, the, you're kind of poking your finger at them and, and everything that you say is like just right. You know, you're just totally nailing them down and you're always right and they're always wrong. If you're having those kind of conversations, there's probably something to work on in that relationship. That's one way to monitor that in your heart. But maybe some of you are thinking, I don't know if there is. I think a healthy thing to do would just be ask God, God, is there anything underneath the surface in my life that I'm not seeing? Would you show me if there's, if there's anything in my heart that would be keeping me out of a, a relationship or out of right relationship with people and that's keeping my heart from being soft toward you? Ask God, is there anybody that I need to do business with? A second thing that you need to do, and this was when I was listening to Andy Stanley, this just drove home to me how important this was, is define the debt. Define the debt. Because we talked about the reason that we're bitter and anger, the reason that we're hurt is that somebody took something from us that we believe is owed to us. What is it that we believe that they owe us? What is it that they took from me? We can't forgive a debt and cancel a debt that we can't identify. We need to define the debt. And I know for some of us this can be really hard. This can be very difficult because this might not be something that you could just jot down on your notes page on the way home from church tonight and have that done. There could be, there could be years and years of stuff in your life that you need to deal with. But I want to encourage you, get it down on paper. What is it that you feel that these people owe you? Not that you're trying to figure out the blame and what part was yours and what part was theirs, but what is it as the best as you can tell, what is it that they owe you? Make a list, get it on paper, make it tangible. And the last thing would be this. Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt in their life. Take this paper that you've just written all of this stuff on, fold it up, and write on the top of this paper, debt canceled. And then right over the top of debt canceled, I think it'd be helpful just to put a big cross on there. Just as a reminder of why you're able to say debt canceled. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because you owe them to let them off the hook. But it's because of what Christ has done in our life that we can give this gift of forgiveness. That we can say debt canceled. And when you do that, when you've taken those steps, you'll never think about it again. Ever again. And you know that that's not true. You know that that's not true. Because we can give the gift of forgiveness. We can say debt canceled. But I can almost guarantee you there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to want to take it back. And just say, what was I thinking canceling that debt? They still owe me. But in that moment when we want to take it back, that's when we remember the cross that we wrote across. Debt canceled. We're not forgiving because they deserve to be forgiven. We're forgiving because of what Christ has done 
in our life. This incredible gift of forgiveness. We've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out how to deal with the things in our heart and these issues of forgiveness. Because for the rest of our lives, there are going to be people that are showing up on our doorstep like the kid that beat up my son that need our forgiveness. Now, they may not physically show up on your doorstep, but they're going to show up on the doorstep of your mind and they're going to show up on the doorstep of your heart and we've got to make a decision. What are we going to do? What are we going to extend toward them? Giving the gift of forgiveness only makes sense when we realize that we are a forgiven person. I want you to just take some time now and set your things aside and bow your head and go to prayer. And I just want you to take some time with God and ask Him, God, is there anything right now that you would want to say to my heart and my life about this issue of forgiveness? bowed and your eyes closed for a few more moments I don't know what it is that God's up to in each of your lives here today but I do know that he wants to know you and he wants for you to know him maybe today it's become clear to you that there's a God out there that is real and he's personal and that he loves you and that he wants to have a relationship with you that will last forever you realize that God has offered you a great gift of forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross for your sin. If you're here today and you want to take that gift that God is offering, I want to help you do that right now. You can do that right now by praying along with me these things in your heart to God. You can pray this way. God, I believe with everything in me that you are real, that you love me, and that you want to have a personal relationship with me that will last forever. But God, I admit today that I have sinned, and as a result, I have been separated from that life inside of you. God, I need your gift of forgiveness. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to pay for my sin, and to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. Jesus, I ask you today to come into my life, to clean me up from the inside out and make me a fresh start. Starting today, God, I make you the boss of my life. If you took that step toward God today, I want you to know that around here we believe you've made the most important decision that you'll ever make while you walk on this earth. So important that we don't want to let this moment pass without giving you an opportunity to let someone know that you did that. With no one looking around but me, and I promise not to do anything that would draw attention to you or embarrass you in any way, I just want to give you an opportunity to look up at me and lift up your hand and make eye contact with me and let me know I made that decision today. I received God's gift of forgiveness. You can do that now. 
make sure I catch your eye. Father, we are so grateful that we serve a God that is so willing to forgive. God, I pray that you would help us as followers of you, Lord, that we would reflect that to the world around us, that we would be people who are willing to forgive. And in that way, we would be great representatives of you.